So today's giant in the series of uh, Goliath Must Fall is one that we didn't tweet or Instagram about. I don't know if anybody caught that or not. Some of you social media people might have been like, okay, so what's the giant going to be this week? We started with the giant of fear. We talked about how Jesus has killed the giant of fear and all of its cousins, anxiety, worry, stress. Last week, we talked about the giant of insecurity, uh, that giant of inferiority, of uh, low self-image, of low self-worth, and how Jesus has killed the giant of insecurity. And people are like, yes, I need to kill the giant of fear. And yes, I, I need to, to know that Jesus has killed the giant of insecurity and taken that away from my life. So if we were to tweet about this week's giant, it would just bo- basically be me and me in, in the message this week. That's why we didn't tweet about the giant this week. Because no one would come for this week's giant. So you learn these things. They teach you that in seminary. If people don't want to hear it, don't tell them ahead of time. (laughs) If people don't want it, you still got to give it to them. Just don't tell them ahead of time because they'll be out of town. They'll have something to do. They'll they'll listen to it online later. They'll get the message when it comes out on DVD. You know, when we start thinking about the threats to our lives, oftentimes, and and it's, it's for good reason, we start thinking about all of the poisonous relationships we have. These are the threats, right? The addictions of our lives, these are the threats. The, the perilous circumstances that we put ourselves in, these are the threats to our lives. That bad habit that we have, the root of anger in our heart. We, we identify these things and say, these things could kill me. They're, they're bad, they're bad for me, they're bad for the people around me, they're kind of obvious to me and the people around me. But what the gospel says more often than not is that sometimes it's not the bad things that have the greatest possibility of killing us. It's the good things that have the greatest possibility of killing us. And I believe there's a giant in my life that wants to kind of hold sway over me. And it's the giant called complacency and comfort. See, now everybody knows why we didn't tell them about the giant ahead of time. They're like, I'm already uncomfortable, and you just said basically the giant's going to be complacency and comfort. You see, I think for us, when we look at the story of David and Goliath, which is a backdrop for the series Goliath Must Fall, and we've sort of reworked that if you just got here this week, that we're not going to fire each other up to go be David because we're not David in the story of David and Goliath. Jesus is David in the story of David and Goliath. Jesus has come into the world to do what we couldn't do. And Jesus has come into the world to shut down the power of the darkness. And that's happened. But there's still giants talking to you and there's still giants talking to me. And when we read the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, it's interesting to me that right in the middle of the story, in fact, kind of the hinge point of the story is when the giant of complacency and comfort gets moved out of, the, out of the way and a trust and faith in the ability of God to bring salvation arrives. And in that moment, the story breaks. And I believe in that moment in our lives, the story is going to break in the same way. We don't notice it oftentimes, but in the middle of this, uh, this backdrop of David and Goliath, I want you to see what's happening as we begin to read of, around verse 12. It says, now David was the son of uh, um, a man named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. And Jesse had eight sons. 
And in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. So in this battle in the Valley of Ella, where Israel and the Philistines are waging war together, three of Jesse's sons are there, the three oldest sons. The firstborn was Eliab, the secondborn was Abinadab, and the third was Shema. So son number one, son number two, son number three are at the battle, camped in the valley of Ella. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So what, what the story's telling us is, is that the three oldest brothers are in the camp at the fight, but David is sort of running a shuttle back and forth from Bethlehem where he's tending the sheep, where his father is, up to the battlefront where his three older brothers are. And he's about to make a trip in this text, but the context is that he's making lots of trips back and forth from home to the battlefront. We don't really think about it like that in our day because we send troops off to war. Uh, We build base camps in the battle zone. We get meals ready to eat to to those who are fighting in combat. We, We put all the supply up at the front line and we have a military might that does all that. But in this day, there, there really was no, you know, defense. There was just people and their families supporting them. So David is the, the supply line to his brothers. Verse 16, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening, and he took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain, that's about 22 liters or a little more than a half of a bushel, take this, this, this collection of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp and take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Ella, fighting against the Philistines. So the picture that we almost miss, if we hurry to David and the five smooth stones and that one rock that absolutely lodged itself in the forehead of Goliath and which crushed him to death and he fell over only to be beheaded by his own sword at the hands of this shepherd boy named David. The part of the story we almost miss is this that the little brother comes on the scene and does in a day what his three older brothers haven't been able to do for a month and a half. And I asked myself, well, why haven't they been able to do anything for a month and a half? And it's because the two giants that we've already talked about are standing and towering over them. The giant of fear is intimidating them. And the giant of insecurity, in other words, them putting their focus on what they think they can do is causing them to be frozen in their tracks in inactivity. And now they've sort of got creature comforts because the context of the story tells us that they have a camp, so they're camping over on one side of the hill. The Philistines are camping on another side of the hill. In the morning, they wake up. I don't know. It doesn't say how early in the morning Goliath comes out, but he comes out in the morning. At some point, they wake up. They have their food. They have their supplies. They have their breakfast. They all rally together. They all say, and I wish we knew what they said. It says they shouted the war cry. They said, we're God's army. We're the Israelites. 
We're the fighters of the living one true God. Let's go out to the battle. They would go out to their battle lines. They would get in their positions. They would suit up in their armor. They would come with their roar. And then Goliath would come out and they would shake in their boots and they would go back to their tents and they would go back to their supply and they would have a lunch and they would have an afternoon and then they would come back to their position and they would go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And every day the giant kept coming. And then David shows up and says, this is going to end today. This is going to end in the next hour. This is going to go down in 40 minutes. What hasn't gone down in 40 days. And it makes me wonder, what does God want to do in your life today? That you've been waiting for a long time for all the pieces to line up, for everything to get in place, for everything to feel like you need it to feel Um, for all the supply you need to be in the cupboard, to take that step and everything to add up when God is saying, I am the God who can bring salvation today. I'm just needing people who haven't settled into complacency and comfort. So these guys had a shuttle (laughs) bringing them food. But they had a constant stream and a runner who was stocking their cupboards. And they really weren't under any imminent physical danger because as long as nobody went out to Goliath, they knew they were going to sleep again that night. The problem was as soon as anyone went out to Goliath, the, 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 the terms of the battle were, if you kill me, all of, all of us will serve you. If I kill your fighter, all of you will serve us. And so how does that work out best? It works out best by a per- position of protection, which says don't send anybody out there. Unless we absolutely know that we can win, don't send anybody out there. Because if we send somebody out there and we lose, we're all in trouble And we all got food in the tents right now, so let's wait till we have an absolute certain plan of victory. And the certain plan of victory was a little boy with a slingshot, meaning in our day and age right now in present tense, Atlanta, Georgia, we're all waiting for the certain plan of victory. And God is saying it is by the hand and the might and the power of God. That's how the victory is going to come. It's not you and me waiting until we can see our strength. It's us realizing that we're moving in God's strength. And as soon as we see that, we're ready for the battle. And when we do that, it puts us in an uncomfortable position. But it also puts us in the place where we can see the salvation of God. It's, it's obvious that there are people in this house today struggling with all forms of terrible things. But it's also possible today that some people's eternal reward will not be robbed by an addiction. It will simply be robbed by comfort. And you won't be an alcoholic. You won't get divorced five times. You won't go to prison. You won't be in the newspaper. You just will settle for the fact that I've got my friends here, just like David's three brothers. I've got community. We've got a whole, whole camp of us here. We have a, a, a battle cry. We say it, say it every day. 
we, we have a God who's for us, and we believe he is the one true God, and we, we've got structure and authority and leadership, and we kind of got it all going on here. We just really never saw the giant come down and the victory come and salvation break forth and a city come to life because we, we weren't willing to take that step away from our sense of control, our sense of comfort, our ample supply, and take a challenge and move out with God into whatever God is calling us to do. You know, when Mike was talking about the giving today, and you know, I, when I share this, I, I'll bring the details down, and I in no way put, put, put Shelly or me, you know, sometimes I tell stories about us, I say because I'm talking. If you were talking, he'd tell stories about you. It's not about me, it's not about us, it's really not about any of us. But, but we're, we, we got into a place this last week where we, we, we took a, a, a slightly uncomfortable financial step. And I'll tell you why. Because we, um, we went to an event earlier this year where they were talking about a big, giant enterprise of God. And, and I was invited there to be a speaker, so my role there was to encourage people to participate in what God was doing in this global enterprise. And to try to inspire myself and all the people there to join God. And so that was my role there. Well, you know what happens when you get around God's big enterprise is what happens. You get inspired by God's big enterprise. And so we were there with um, uh, some fairly wealthy people, I think. And uh, they, were, they were giving uh, towards this cause. And, you know, I was just the guy, you know, just there to speak. But as, as the uh, hours kind of ticked along, telling her, I were like, man, I'm feeling something. Are you feeling something? I, I think uh, God's kind of tugging at my heart. Is he kind of tugging at your heart? And she's like, yeah, he's kind of tugging at my heart. And I said, you know, they're going to get to the end of this thing and they're going to ask all those people to fill out some kind of card and, and ante up and, you know, make a commitment to this deal. And I think we should be two of them. She's like, me too. I said, I got a number in mind. She said, me too. I told her my number and she told me her number and we were like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Well, I had misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> that what the commitment was, was that it was a commitment for a two-year period. That's what I had understood. I mean, where I got that, I don't know. I just, I, you know, maybe I may have made that up, or I wanted to hear that, or maybe someone said that accidentally. I just thought it was like a two-year commitment, which meant all of 2014 and all of 2015, and I was kind of banking on the all of all, all of that. And so uh, we made this commitment. We did our thing. We felt great about it. We, we were like, thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part. Thank you that we have resources that we can invest. Thank you that we're not in debt up to our eyeballs. Thank you that we have uh, disposable cash flow in our life because we tried to manage our finances in a way that God can have access to what he gives us. And so we were just happy. I mean, I mean, like really happy that we went to this gathering. I'm so thrilled that they invited us to come and be a part of the team because we got to be a part of what God was doing in that moment. Well, then we came home and some time passed, like a, a month passed and then two months passed. You know how, how that joy kind of can fade away, you know, like two months later and all that, you know, yeah, we're going to join God. And then you're kind of like, well, I don't know how we're going to do this. You know, this is really, I'm not really sure what we were thinking. And uh, did you, are you, did you sure we maybe added an extra zero to the number we were hearing? Maybe I wasn't walking with God that weekend. Maybe, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe a lot of things going on. Well, on top of that, we're moving right now. 
And, and some complications have made that last a lot longer than it needed to last. And so that's a big deal in our lives right now. And there's a, there's, so there's a backstory with all of that. And then I got a letter from the organization because they were right on top of it. They were like, we, they, we know if you're going to ante up that we need to kind of like, you know, remind you pretty fast. And so I got a letter from this organization saying, thank you for your commitment to give. And there was the number in print. Like they knew what we put on the card in the letter and to commit to give this amount in the year 2014 and I went oh wow what happened in 2015 (laughs) that's the part I misunderstood and so I started doing what we do I started saying well I I need to understand how this is all going to work I need to, you know, have you, anybody, dads, heads of houses here, moms, have you ever like added up your money like a hundred different ways? Anybody ever done that before? Like you've thought about, okay, I know I got this and I know I got that. And I know this is coming, but that's going. And you know, there's, there's then there's going to be that and then there'll be that. And so then if I do that, I can do that. And then maybe I'll have, do you, anybody, is that just me doing that? And so you kind of adding everything up and figuring out, and then I'm trying to put this number in there. And then we got this moving situation. that's kind of like a, a floating variable right now. That's just getting more and more expensive. It seems like every day that it doesn't happen when it was supposed to happen. And, and at some point, in fact, I can tell you the point, it was uh, during the giving um, last Sunday, five o'clock, um, God said, fulfill what I led you to do and do it now. Stop adding. Stop wondering how many trips David has to make to the supply line. Stop wondering how much stuff you have to have in your tent before you can actually walk out and obey me. You have 56 years of life. I've never let you down. I've never led you to make a decision financially entrusting me that you look back on with anything less than thank you, God, for leading us to do that. There's never been one time in our lifetime, married or single, that we look back and say we regret giving to God what we gave to God. Not one time. There's never a time we promised God that we would lean in with God, that God didn't supply what God asked us to give back into what he was doing. There's never been any moment like that in our life. We, we've never, uh, and in fact, it's the opposite story for us. And I'm not saying that happens every time, but I don't know. Anybody got that story? Our story is when we lean in with God, God says, hello, that's pretty awesome. I'm just going to do that then. And then we're like, wow, we didn't see that coming. And then he says, I know, why don't you do this? And we'd be like, okay, we'll do that. That's great. And then he goes, well, voila. And then we say, we didn't see that coming. And that's kind of the story of generosity, really. That is the story of generosity. It's not that you give so God will give to you, but I'm telling you, if you have loose hands, God has loose hands. You know, if you got stingy hands, God's God's probably not going to open up a lot on you. But if your hands are loose, if your conduit is open, then God's conduit is open. And that doesn't just have to do with money. It has to do with influence. It has to do with your life leaning into the things of God. It has to do with faith. It has to do with prayer. It has to do with stepping out in obedience. It has to do with taking the risk that God is inviting you into. And if your conduit is open, God's conduit is open. But if you're sitting in the camp, got all your groceries in the tent, got all your pals around chanting the war cry every morning, God's probably not going to bring you the victory. Until somebody steps out and says, Christ has come, and the battle is already won. And I said to Shelley, I said, we're going we're to do this this week. 
We're not waiting to the end of the year. We're not going to wait to the last day of 2014 and hope it all kind of adds up by then. We're just going to do it right now, right in the middle, today, because God is big. And I promise you, I will have a story. We will have a story about the salvation of God. So comfort isn't the goal. The giant of fear and the giant of insecurity build a nest called complacency. And they invite us to live our lives in that nest. But the work of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, pushes us out of the nest and says, you can fly. You're ready to fly. And off you go. And somewhere between the nest and the ground, we figure out that our wings work. And we go, this is awesome. Every year we have various birds come and build a nest on the side porch of our house. Different ones, different kinds. Sometimes I get in the way and tear the nest down because it gets a little messy out there. And, and don't report me, but you know, yeah, I'll just take the nest down after the year. I'm like, no, we're not doing that next year. And I'll get up there and clean it off really good and clean all the mud off that they've brought up there and all the stuff. And then this year, they built a nest of nests up there. I mean, this thing's the size of a basketball. And I thought, I don't know, maybe squirrels have come in and they're going to have a family of squirrels up there. I mean, I'm the best, no, I'm kidding. The nest like this big up there, all hanging over the edge, pine straw. I'm like, where'd you get all that stuff? That's why I'm pine, paying so much for pine straw because you people are putting it all up there in that nest. I called the guy and I said, hey, I need an extra bale this year. Apparently they're doing some serious work up here on the side patio. Just put it out there by the thing and take the deal off of it and they'll get it up there where they need it. And so we didn't know what was up there, but then we got this dog, London, who has to go to the bathroom regularly. And um, so we sit out on that side porch a lot, waiting for number one and number two to happen. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody with me on that? Please, Lord, let the dog poop. <laughs> Sorry. Edit. Uh... Have a life, London, and we'd like to get on with it now, so... And so we, 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 we're sitting out there a lot, like early, and then we see the little bird flying around, tiny, tiny bird, never seen one like it in our yard. And I'm like, congratulations. I mean, I have more respect for a mother bird than almost any living thing. It's like, A, you, you got to third of a bale of pine straw up there. (laughs) Then you laid eggs and you sat on them and then you had babies and now you fly around all day long and find food and take it to them. And this dog has interrupted this flow like major. (laughs) That bird is sitting on the fence over there looking at me like, what, 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 what are you thinking? This is not what we had planned. You guys never came out on this porch. This was our domain. And I watched that bird take care of that nest. But you know, then there came a day, right? When the mom said, it's time. And I feel like a lot of Christians just want to live in the nest. And they just want... God to fly back and forth day by day and bring him a little something. 
And there is that in our walk with God. He is our shepherd. But then there's the moment where he says, oh, by the way, you, you, you weren't made for the nest. <laughs> you, you were made to live out in, in, a, in a broken world where there's conflict and risk. And that's why our gospel is the gospel of incarnation, which is Christ came into the world and then Christ came into us so that he could send us into the world filled with his spirit and with his life and that we could start walking in the world in what Christ has already done. So how does this happen? How do, how do we... How do we make sure that we don't lose our opportunity by becoming comfortable and complacent? I think it's a few ways, and I'll touch on them. Number one, we constantly remember that our faith centers around a radical place of discomfort. <laughs> that was, couldn't have got any quieter right there. That, that couldn't have been quieter if we just said, please don't even breathe when I say this, okay? Don't move, don't breathe, don't even bat your eyelashes, okay? Th- this is why the gospel drives what we do. Because the gospel is rooted in a place of discomfort. We think about it today. We lifted our hands today in celebration of what we sang the words and said, the rugged cross is my only hope. And so we know that we're alive because of discomfort. We know that we are free because of discomfort. We know that we are saved because of discomfort. We know that Christ endured what was not comfortable so that we could become the sons and daughters of God. And this is our story. People say, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to put your faith in the work of Jesus. And what is the work of Jesus? That he came, that he lived, that he exchanged his life, that he was crucified, that he was dead and buried and raised up from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven, sent the spirit of God, and is now living inside of us. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. And it all hinges around a very uncomfortable moment. And somehow the church, if we're not careful, sings songs about the uncomfortable moment of Jesus while we live in the comfortable moment of us. Thank you. I liked your boldness, though. You said, I'm going to go anyway. I'll go three claps in. Oh, no one's going with me. Okay, great. Great. And so I think day by day when I come to Jesus, I don't come to Jesus and just say, thank you for putting me in the nest. I come to Jesus and say, thank you for stepping out into the valley of Elah and doing what I could not do so that I now can step with you into the world and trust you and believe you to do great things in and through my life. I think the second way we stay away from complacency and comfort is when we remember not only that our faith centers around a radical place of discomfort, but secondly, we remember that the point of our life is the fame of Jesus. Now, see, see the guys, they, they say, we got food, we got friends, we got a camp, and we got a war chant, so we're good. <laughs> and then David shows up and says, You're insulting my God, and you're going to stop doing that in in about 20 minutes, okay? I'll be right back. 
You are defaming and dishonoring my God, the God that I worship, the God that I commune with, the God who loves me, the God who I've been hanging out with in the shepherd's field. And you are taking glory away from the name of the one true God of all gods. And I don't know how big you think you are, but you're not that big. And you're going to shut up today. And you are going down on this day. And all of his brothers are like, what are you thinking you're going to do? Where, where, where'd you come from? Where'd you get off? What's going on? What, 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 what? And he's like, no, no, here's what's going to happen. I don't know how long y'all are going to put up with this, but I'm not putting up with this. I'm not putting up with this. That's why we talked about in the very first day that if our freedom is our only motivation to take down the giants in our lives, we won't have all the motivation because God's glory is also the motivation for us to walk in victory over the giants in our lives because our freedom and God's glory are, are forever intertwined. And if we forget about the glory of God, we won't be willing to pay the price of whatever step it is that God's asking us to take. But when we see the glory of God, we'll understand that there is no cost too great to make his name known in our life. Philippians 2 is an amazing passage that... Uh, most of us have kind of been around, and if we've been in church, if you haven't been in church, uh, in this little New Testament book of Philippians 2, is such a beautiful core of what Jesus has done for us. And it says in, in the first part of Philippians 2, it's talking about how he wants us to love each other, to, to give our lives away for each other, to not you know, think about me and mine, but to think about you and yours, to not just get my stuff in order, but to think about what can I do to lean into your life. And then he gives us a picture of that in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, here comes um, some, some definite anti-complacency and anti-comfort kind of talk. Who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but he made Jesus himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So, so Jesus is in, in, in heaven with everything he needs forever, and he says, I'm going to step out of heaven into earth. Okay, so, so that lets us know right away that following Jesus is a process of stepping out of comfort into discomfort, of stepping out of, I got it all set up, into I'm not exactly sure how this is going to go. And so he says he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man. If that wasn't enough, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place, amen, and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess, say it with me, that Jesus Christ is Lord, comma, to the glory of God the Father. So why did Jesus take the step? Oh, because of us. No, because of the glory of God. That's why he took the step. Why did Jesus empty himself? Oh, well, because, because he loved me. No, because of the glory of God. That's why he emptied himself. 
But doesn't he love me? Oh, of course he loves us. But his love for us shines a light on him more than it shines a light on us even. And when he shines his love on us, it just makes his love look all that much better. And even what Christian shared today, while God demonstrated his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where does that put the glory? On us or on the demonstration of his love? It puts the emphasis and the light on the kind of love that God has for us, that even while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so when Jesus stepped out of heaven, he saw the end in mind. When Jesus stepped out of heaven, he knew the end result was the glory of God. The end of all of his actions was the glory of God. The end of the price he would pay, the obedience, the the humility, the suffering, the death, the the resurrection, the end of all of that was going to be glory to the Father. And he said, that cost is not too high if it brings that kind of glory to the Father. And he started with the end in mind, which was the glory of God. I think we forget that. That the purpose of our life is not to be comfortable. It's not protection. It's not stocked cupboards. It's that Jesus be glorified. At whatever cost, it won't be too much if Jesus is glorified through our lives. And when David stepped into the valley of Ella, his first thought was, the glory of God is going to shine today because you are going down. And then he was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. He did not come up there going, I've heard there's a giant and I've got a plan and he's coming up there. Here's the grain and here's the 10 loaves. I brought cheese for you and I got a bazooka right here. And when that guy comes out today, I'm going to put this thing on target and I'm going to blow him away. No, he didn't have a plan. He he didn't already know how it was going to happen. He just knew it was going to happen. He started with the end, which was the glory of God. And then he started looking for rocks. And then he walked into the valley of Elah. I think the third way we fight against complacency is we remember that life is brief. And it's so amazing that we forget this. Do you know that um, when, when the... Eliab and Shema and all the other fighters get to heaven, they're going to be able to, to know that they wasted 40 days of their life sitting on a hillside. You only get a few days in your life. They, they gonna spend, they're gonna, you, you spent 40, at least 40, that we know of, days of your life waiting for someone to believe God was bigger than that giant. And, and we, we, just sit, we just sit by going, you know what, I got time, I'll, I'll do it next year, I'll, I'll obey God in the next season of life, I'll obey God when, when I get enough money in the bank, I'll obey God when you know, our kids are out of the house, I'll obey God when it seems like it's a more logical time to take that step. And sometimes God breaks into our story and says, I want you to step out with me right now. And we forget that we might not have another opportunity in another season to do that. You know, I always, uh, I always try to think about it like this because we forget that whether you live to be 80, you know, which is a you know, big goal for us, 85, 90, it, it really, in the end of the day, it's kind of all the same. God gives you breath. He gives you life. 
You try to protect it. And then it's gone. You say, well, there's, you know, there's air conditioning. Turn the other way. Okay. I'm going to work out, man. I'm going to get checkup. I'm going to... That one's real short. <laughs> I'm going to protect mine. I'm going to make sure nobody comes around and blows my flame out. I'm going to ensure that That's it. If the enemy can keep you good and comfortable, he can cause you to waste that. And never in your day see the salvation of God come. We're not a comfortable people. And, you know, just uh, to be clear, uh, complacency is not about the size of your bank account. So you can breathe easy if you have a big one. If you don't, you're like, comfort, man. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think I'm overdrawn right now, honestly. <laughs> comfort, I'm hoping the people next to me are going to invite me to lunch today. Comfort and complacency are not about the size of our house. It's not about the size of your bank account. It's not about the make and model of your car. Those things could be another giant called materialism, but that's a whole other giant. It really goes in another category. Complacency isn't about how much you have. Complacency is an attitude of the heart. And what God wants to remind us of every day is, A, we, we rally around a cross, so we're, we're in a fight. Yes, it's one, but, but, but we're still in a fight, are we not? Yes, we're resting in the work of God, but come on, we, we're living on a planet with billions and billions of people who've never heard of Jesus. I mean, this world is like rattling at the hinges right now. I mean, any day this whole thing could just go up in smoke, and we have the answer. We know hope. We have the truth. We have the life. We have the way. We have Jesus. And the goal isn't to settle into a, a nice, comfortable place and a, a nice, easy routine. The, 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 the goal is to say, God, I'm, I'm available and, and I'm secure and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because of you and I'm not insecure because of you. So I'm available to whatever you want to do. You call on me and I will step forward and say, in the name of the Lord God Almighty, I will step into the fight. Not in my ability, not in my power, not in my strength, not in all my, you know, all of my roar, but in the name of God, I'm stepping into this conversation, into this situation, into this moment in faith. And no, I don't know exactly how it's all going to go, but I know that God is going to be glorified. And I'm willing to take that chance because my life, you know, I don't, have a, I don't have a lot of time. And I don't have enough time to have a complacent heart. 
I think, you know, a couple other things will close. I think one of the ways we fight complacency is we remember that God is big. Life is short, 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 God is big. This is the voice of the giant slayer. Life is short, God is big. This is the voice of the martyr. This is the voice of the movement starter. This is the voice of the church planner. This is the voice of the, of the, of the uh, nation impactor. This is the voice of the people who are on the front lines right now, pushing through the darkness and saying, we're going to bring the gospel of Jesus to these people, no matter what the cost. This, this is people on the front lines saying, we're going to serve people in the world who have a virus which has no cure that we're now going to contract because we're going to step into the fray. This is the nature of what it means to follow the giant killer. Jesus. And when we reverse that and say, life is long and I am small, we do nothing. But when we breathe in worship, life is short and God is big, we are ready to move into action. Complacency leads to inaction, but worship moves us into action. It puts urgency in our lives. You know, somebody's going to come along and say, well, well, you know, we, we don't, there's another giant. Can I just say we're not going to talk about this one in these next few days? Uh, but there's another giant called busyness. We don't want that giant. We don't want the giant of busyness, okay? We don't want the spirit of Martha on our lives. We don't want the spirit of I'm working and working and working to try to prove something to God or prove something to people or prove something to me. We don't want that spirit of busyness. We don't want the spirit that says, I'm just so focused on what I'm doing. I can't even hear what God's saying. We don't want that giant. But that giant of busyness cannot be confused with the giant of lack of urgency because the gospel is an urgent message and the church is an urgent group of people. I said the gospel is an urgent message. People are dying without it. And the church is an urgent people. Our goal at Passion City Church is not to make you comfortable. Our goal as a people is to shine the light of Jesus in this moment. Yeah. We fight complacency when we remember that this isn't our home. I think the brothers just kind of got to where they were feeling good about it. And they forgot, um, you have family, you have a, you know, you have home. So let's get this done, and let's get where we're going. <laughs> you know, I think that, that the fight would have been better if Saul had come out one day and said, guess what, I took all the supplies out of your tents while you were at the battle line today, and I burned them all. Your 22 liters of grain that the little kid brought today, gone. Your 10 loaves, gone. 10 cheeses that he brought to the commander, gone. Go to the next family, supplies you got, gone. All the supplies are gone. If you want to eat, you have to kill the giant. That would have shifted things, right? Because don't you know these guys every day they would go back and they would go back to the camp at night and it was a morning and evening kind of intimidation tactic and they'd go back to the camp at night. And don't you know, because I'm a guy, I can hear it. They're sitting around going, all right, 
tomorrow. Here's what I'd do if I went out there. If I went out there, I'd go for his feet. I'd, I'd run up there and I'd look him eye to eye and I'd kind of do a fake blow. Then I'd go low and I'd grab his toenails. He probably had the fungus, but I'm going to grab him anyway. And I'm going to twist his toenails. And if, somebody, if you, anybody's ever done this to you, you know what? It's not a good thing. If they grab both your toenails and break them simultaneously, it's painful. And you're going over. And when he goes over, I'm coming around behind. And I, I'm going to put uh, pepper spray on him. And because uh, look at that. I got that all off the internet. And uh, that's pretty amazing. And then, you know, and then the other one said, yeah, well, you know what? I think I've been thinking about it too. And um, I've been thinking that, man, if I went out there, you know what I do? If I went out there, I would take a spear and I would throw it right through his left eye. And, and, um, and, and then I would go up there and cut his tongue out uh, with a pair of scissors. And then I would stuff his tongue down his throat and suffocate him. That's what I'd do if I went out there. And the other guy said, oh, that's pretty cool. I've, I've been thinking if I went out there, I'd light him on fire. I'd go out there. Then while he was like, whoa, I'd put gasoline on his feet and light him on fire. And go, ha ha, your feet are on fire. And then I'd run back and he would burn up. That's what I would do. And then the other guy said, you know what I'd do if I went out there? And every night they just talked about what they would do. Forty days and forty nights of what I'm gonna do. And nobody did anything. And I think it's because they, they didn't have that sense of, of urgency connected to the fact that we had to get out of here. We're not living forty days on the side of a mountain because of a nine foot tall guy. We have the God of gods on our side. Part of the Red Sea, people, come on, let's go. Pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. Come on, let's go into the valley. Do you remember when the quail and the manna came down? Let's go into the fight. Let's take this guy down. Let's see God's salvation come today. And let's go home. And I think we think we are home. I think we think we are home. And I think we forget, let's do what God has called us to do and let's get out of here. And last, we fight complacency when we let God help us see what hangs in the balance. This isn't about you. Shelley says this all the time, so much better than I could say it. Faith is never just about us. Faith is about people you don't even know. And not only is your freedom, your salvation, your purpose in life, you getting on board with what God has for you hanging in the balance today, if whether or not this giant of comfort and complacency is going to rule your roost or not, whether or not you're going to spend the whole life in the nest going, God, keep coming back and forth and bringing me something today, or whether you're going to go, look, I got wings, I can fly. God has a plan for me to move out. God, God, I've got the ability in Christ to do what God wants me to do. And I think the difference in that a lot of times is that we're thinking about us. And as long as I'm thinking about me, I'm not dead today and I've got food today. I'm okay today. But when David went out and when David took down the giant, all of the army fled and all of the Israelites pursued them and took all of their wealth and all of their possessions. And a whole nation stepped into the salvation of God. because of the faith of one person.
See, there might be a nation waiting on you today. Might be a whole family waiting on you today. And their kids, kids, are waiting on you today. The greatest things in our story to date have come out of the most uncomfortable decisions that we have made. And nothing that is worth having comes without a cost. We're all in this house today. Why? Because people took a step. Oh, well, it was easy. You, you, you saw it all. You knew how it was going to finish out. You knew we'd all be here. You, you, you knew where all the millions would come from to turn a warehouse into a, a house of God. You, you, you understood how all the pieces would fit and how five years later all this stuff would happen. No, just a team of people said, we're going to take a step for the fame of Jesus in this city. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't easy. It still isn't comfortable, and it still isn't easy. Passion, we, we didn't sit back and go, man, domes will be filled, arenas will be filled, millions will come, albums will be sold. It is going to be so fantastic and fabulous. No, out of a very difficult valley of Ella in our lives, we took a step, not knowing anything other than we were far out with God on the end of the limb believing that he wanted to make his fame known to this generation of young people and if we got in his corner we believed he would breathe life on our journey and I you know I don't know I don't know how much is waiting on you today but I do know it's not all about you. There are a lot of other people who are waiting on you to take that step of faith today. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what God's putting on your heart. I don't know what it, what it means for you today to say, life is short, God is big. Life is short, God is big. I'm going to take a shot. Life is short, God is big. I'm going to take a step. Life is short, God is big. I'm going to obey now. Life is short, God is big. I'm going to fulfill what I said I would do. Life is short, God is big. I'm going to trust him to do what only he can do. Life is short, God is big. I'm going to have the conversation. Life is short, God is big. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to make the move. Life is short, God is big. We're willing to open our hands. Life is short, God is big. I'm willing to say today I raise my white flag and I'm available. And before my little five-second flame burns out, just make sure Jesus gets glory from me.